Welcome to episode number 10 of the BK Show podcast. This week, I'm joined by my friend Tom Wang. Tom is the founder of MasterFBA.com, where he teaches people how to get started on Amazon FBA. Uh, He's an immigrant. He used to sell hoverboards on Craigslist. Uh, He presents in person. And, and almost does like in-person webinars, which I thought was really, really cool take on this type of industry. Uh, we deep dive into all of that. I think Tom's a uh, fantastic interview. So I hope you enjoy this interview with my good friend, Tom Wayne. Man, hey, Tom, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you very much for having me. It's such an honor and a pleasure to be on the BK show. I love how you get all professional as soon as the the record button is hit. Hey, man, so I met I met you in a mastermind as well. Uh, I actually just got done editing uh, episode number eight, which comes out tomorrow as we're recording this with Abdul, where he brings you up quite a bit as well. Uh, I met you in that same mastermind, and then I flew up to Vancouver uh, legitimately just to see you do your thing. Like You had told me a bunch of times how you sell uh, a course to it. Like what is there, one million people in Vancouver? There is, yeah, there's about a one million. Yeah, about there. So you you sell your course only in Vancouver. And I thought that was like the coolest thing, but I didn't get it at all. Like I had no idea what, mm. exactly what you were doing. So I had to fly up there to see. I wanted to see Abdul and Kayvon uh, and Tony. And so uh, I flew up to see you and, and the story you told there was uh, amazing to me, honestly. Like I'm sure it took some time for you to refine that sales pitch, but you spoke for an hour and a half, two hours telling your story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just intrigued. I took... Uh, pages upon pages of notes in my notes app, but I was like intrigued about your story. I, I didn't know that much about you. I mean, we hung out at the mastermind a few times and we talked for sure, but I definitely didn't know that story. So I would personally love to dive into that story and, and just share that with the world because I think it's a pretty cool story that you got, man. Yeah, that'll be great. Well, let's jump right back at the beginning, man. The very first note I have in my app is that you're an immigrant from China. So like, can you talk me through that? What age did you uh, you know, immigrate to Vancouver from from China? Yeah, so I'm 29 years old, uh, born 1991, uh, lived in China until 2001, and immigrated to Canada, actually right after 9-11, 2001. I remember that very, very uh, um, uh, vividly. So I came to Canada, uh, resided in Vancouver, uh, suburbs called Richmond, where the airport is pretty much. And um, both of my parents are born and raised in China, and um, we can talk a little bit more about them a little bit later. But they left everything behind. Uh, we didn't have any family here. We didn't have any friends here. So it's literally just uh, my dad, my mom, and myself. And we came here, uh, rented an apartment, and for like twelve hundred bucks a month. And uh, yeah, that was that. It was a very, very big culture shock because in China, growing up, education is the most important thing. Uh, that is literally what you do from uh, from when you can walk and speak to when you graduate university. It's the, the, the only thing that you need to care about is education. Like here in Canada, US, North America, you know, growing up, you're supposed to get a job, you're supposed to do paper routes, you're supposed to, um, you know, d- do different ways to earn a living, uh, you know, starting to earn a little bit of a living. And uh, in China, you know, you don't, like, no one has a job between the ages of, uh, you know, from, from, from elementary school until university. So there's a lot of these different uh, culture so- shock that I experienced when I moved here. And another thing is because China, like you literally wake up, go to school, come back, uh, have extra tutoring, uh, eat dinner, and then more tutoring, do your homework, and then go to bed on weekend, tutor, 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 uh, everything. It, it's, it's 
dude, it's, it's insane. Um, but when I got to Canada, school started at like 9.30. In China, school starts like 7.30 or something like that. And then school finished at 3, 2.50. I was like, what? Like, this is insane because 2.50 would be like our lunch break. And then you got like another four hours of school. So uh, when I came here in grade five, I experienced both sides. And obviously, I prefer the North American way a lot better. Uh, and then I see all these kids playing soccer, football, hockey. And I, you know, all of that, the, the point I'm telling the story is actually I developed a very, very big um, uh, clash with my parents. Because when, when I came here, they're like, hey, how come Tom is not actually studying you know, after, after classes, how come Tom is not, you know, having more tutoring and stuff like that, uh, on weekends when he's actually going out to play with his friends. So they started being very, 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 um, controlling, uh, of my education growing up. And that actually created a lot and a lot of conflict. So what is a tutor like when you, you said before you're 10 is when you moved here, right? What is a tutor like mm-hmm. when you're learning how to read and like, what are they teaching you other than you know, helping you read and write better. Yeah, mostly math, actually. I think now that I go in a lot of math, a lot of um, like Chinese, just like uh, writing paragraphs and essays and stuff like that. Yeah. And a lot of um, actually extracurricular would in- include um, like some sort of a musical instrument, right? <laughs> so you got your piano, you got your... So I, I, I actually play something cool, like a clarinet uh, and then a little bit of saxophone. So that's like kind of cool. I was a little bit different. Uh, but everybody else, like, just, you know, learn piano. Little known fact, I'm a, I am was a state champion tuba player in 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. So uh, not go. as cool as the saxophone and clarinet, I'll, I'll admit that. But I, I yeah, enjoyed that. Cooler than the flute, though. <laughs> so <laughs> like, what what prompted the move to America in the first place then? I, I mean, if you're getting all the, the tutoring, you're getting, you know, a ton of schooling, uh, and it sounds like they weren't happy when you came here and you were, you know, playing hockey instead of uh, learning things. What What prompted the move in the first place? Um, my dad actually, so growing up, you know, he, he grew up in like a really, really, really shitty time in China. Uh, it was just an absolute shithole. Both of my dad's parents passed away at a pretty early age, uh, due to health. And so my dad basically had two options. He said, okay, I can continue and live on this, basically a farm. Um, and I can become a farmer. Um, and or I can actually escape this situation, right? I can, I can make a difference and escape the situation. So he did. I, I don't know what triggered that because I think that is such a such... Now looking back, I'm like, wow, your environment is an absolute shithole. Like my dad, um, you know, my grandparents who I, ne- I don't recall meeting didn't go to university, didn't come from this, didn't come from that. So the environment wasn't very good, but he made a decision at an early age that... He was going to escape that situation. And in China, how you escape that situation is through education, right? So he basically worked in the daytime, went to school. I remember him telling me stories of basically he can't afford electricity. So he would literally study until 3 or 4 a.m. under candlelight. And then the next day, he'll get up super early, do, uh, go get a job, do some work, <clears throat> go to school, do homework, study, rinse and repeat. And then through that, through that commitment, he was actually able to get into a really uh, prestigious university in China. And then from there, he actually graduated at the top of his class. And then he got a job at an engineering firm in China. And with the engineering firm, one of the projects they were doing were, I think, some, something to do with oil or gold or mining of some sort, natural resources in Africa. So he got to travel to Africa quite a bit and get to meet all these you know, top leaders 
And through that experience, he also ended up in the US. And when he went to the US, it was just like his mind was absolutely blown. He's like, this is a completely different world than China, completely different. Now, maybe there's some more similarities. In China, you can go to certain districts and you can probably experience a little bit of the uh, Western culture. So if you go to Shanghai, there are certain areas where it's expats only. So it's like, it's like you walking down Vancouver in Gastown and the cobblestones and everything like that. Back then, there weren't anything like that. So my dad said, I want, my, I want Tom, I want my kid, uh, I want my wife to hopefully one day live in the U.S. Um, and we couldn't go to the U.S. because the immigration law were, it was very, very tough. So our second best option was actually uh, uh, Canada. So that's how we, we basically um, uh, chose Vancouver, I guess. So had you learned any English before you came here? Or did you move here at 10, not speaking a lick of English? I, I spoke a little a lick of English. Uh, I, I spoke a little bit. I went to like an international school in China. Uh, funny story about how I got my name Tom is in grade two, I went to this international school. And this teacher came from the UK, and she couldn't pronounce any of our Chinese names, right? So what she did was she had a list of boys' names and a list of girls' names, and she went down the aisle and literally started assigning people's names, and I happened to be Tom. So (laughs) I'm pretty sure the guy behind me was Jerry. So uh, yeah. And I didn't even know that wasn't your name. Like, uh, uh, I was with you in your office, and you had signed a contract, um, yeah. or maybe you had just left, and I was with Christina, and you had just signed something. And I, and I read the name, and I was like, "Who is this? I don't even remember it now. I know it was uh, it was something I'd never heard before, for sure. I have a I have a hidden identity. <laughs> I'm actually I actually I probably shouldn't say that now. There's uh, Zoom is all listening to us and shit, but I'm safe in Canada. Yeah. So FBI like, is not gonna my house. <laughs> so you could speak a little bit, right? But I'm sure that transition, like you said, was a little weird uh, coming over here and seeing, oh yeah, uh, you know, hockey. Let alone, right? Is hockey a thing in in China at all? No, no. And obviously, it's huge in Canada, right? Yeah, yeah. I spoke some English, um, but yeah, I got. I mean, I got made fun of like when I came here. But what's really interesting is I also remember during the same time, my parents met some local friends, and they also had their kids, and they're all the same age as me. But when they came to Canada, they only hung out with Chinese kids who spoke Chinese. Whereas for me, I only hung out with white kids. Like my best friend growing up, his name is Peter. And we would hang out every single day. Uh, And that is how I learned English. It's by hanging out with a white kid, right? So we became best friends. And my English, like, you know, uh, improved significantly compared to everybody else who came to Canada at the exact same time. Uh, when I came here, there's a program called ESL, English as Second Language. And in that, obviously in that class, everybody is an immigrant, right? Um, and yeah, I was like the, 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 the top person just because I hung out with Peter so much. Yeah. Mm. So tell me more about that transition. Like um, you said, you know, bringing it back that your parents weren't super happy with the fact that you weren't getting, you know, the same level of learning you were getting in China. Like, where, where does it go from there? Uh, did they insist on you getting tutors? Did, uh, you know, obviously, I think one of the notes I have here from your, your talk is they insisted you must go to college. Yeah. So just, I mean, college is never a option, right? It was always a must. Um, yeah. Like in China, if you don't go to college, you're pretty much just the, 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 the bottom of the bottom of society. Um, you got to go to college. That's like not really an option, but yeah, I mean, growing up, I remember like I all wanted to all do these, all these extracurricular activities. My parents would say no. 
Uh, some because we just didn't have the money. For example, hockey. I was never to play it. I was never able to play hockey as a young kid. Except my, I begged my parents so much that they actually decided to take a loan. I think what mortgage, take money out of their mortgage to um, let me play hockey. Um, they bought obviously. I bought all the secondhand equipment, and it was just the most disgusting thing. Uh, but it's, it's funny now looking back, like I. Um, my eyesight's were really bad actually growing up and my parents both wore glasses and they're like, Hey, don't get glasses because the second you get glasses, you're not going to, like, you can never get away from them, which is like, what kind of logic is that? Like, if you need glasses, you need glasses. Like who cares if you can get away with it or not. Right. But now looking back, the funny thing is I remember the first time, time playing hockey, I couldn't even see the fucking puck because I didn't have glasses. And I remember also like, I'm a pretty small guy. I got body checked really, really hard, and I fell on my tip, uh, my my tailbone, and I actually fractured it. Um, and and said, don't I get it fixed, or, or it'll always be broken. I just laid on bed for like a week, and um, yeah, and uh, I actually stopped playing hockey after that. I was like, oh, I don't want to play this anymore. This sucks. Um, so yeah, that was an interesting story about that. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there was just a lot of things, man. Like we would argue all the time. My dad. Uh, took on a new venture because he's an engineer. And when he came to Canada, he can't be an engineer anymore because if he wants to be an engineer, he has to basically go through school again and get certified, which he doesn't have time for and money for. So he just took on like an odd job. And then he met someone through church. Uh, my parents are all, they're both very religious. And the person at church said, Hey, like I have this skincare line. Do you want to basically be my distributor in North America? Because it was a Chinese skincare line. My dad's like, sure. And then he actually went, he started this business venture. He has no experiences of being an entrepreneur. Um, he's never started his own business before. He's always, always, always worked in the corporate job. And he actually decided to, uh, first he launched a skincare line in Canada uh, obviously no, like no e-commerce or anything it was through just traditional distribution, dollar stores and stuff like that. And then he figured out that the market in the States is much bigger. So what he did then is he actually like decided to move to LA. Um, he opened up his business in LA. Uh, my mom stayed with me, um, all these years. So my dad's in LA and they're not divorced or anything. Um, uh, my dad's in LA, my mom's here. My dad will come back once every three or four months. And as a, you know, my mom at the time was pretty much like, she's not a single mother, but she kind of is at the same time. You know, she doesn't have a husband, uh, in, you know, under the roof and I was being rebellious. So it was just this whole complete shit show. Like our family was always fighting. Um, I was always hiding things from my parents and I can never tell them anything because I feel like if I tell them, them something, they will just judge me. They will say, Oh, that's wrong. Don't do that. So I just did a lot of things that they don't know about. Um, and uh, yeah, more and more and more tension created. And that tension really, I mean, I don't want to talk about too much, but it really carried from like when I got to Canada up until I would say like 20, like 23, 24 after I graduated from college. Yeah, I can't imagine like having my dad be away for three to four months or, you know, my wife or however you want to look at that from a different perspective. That's insane. Like I'm sure he was doing what he could to make things work out but that had that yeah. had to seem pretty chaotic as a kid yeah yeah now i didn't think about it too much at the time whenever he leaves because i'm more scared of my dad than my mom um so <laughs> so all? whenever he's gone i kind of like oh freedom like i can do whatever i want right when my dad's back i'm like oh shit i better behave so <laughs> <laughs> 
but I still get my ass whooped. <laughs> so I remember you like mentioning some entrepreneurial stuff too, like even in China, right? So, mm. uh, f- forgive me, I don't remember the story, but it was like pencils or something in China. Yeah. So like when I went to international school, my that's when my dad started working in, um, you know, uh, Africa and the states. And when he went to the states, every single time he goes there, he will actually bring me back something. So, dude, you know what's? Let me tell you a different story. Uh, actually, so it's so weird. Uh, when I was like two or three years old, I was basically, there's a picture of me, uh, in my living room and I was wearing a little, I was butt naked. Okay. Butt naked with my little wee wee hanging out. And I was wearing this little shirt and on it says Canada. And in the back of my living room, there was a painting of Banff in Canada. So it was super weird that I ended up in Canada. Um, but having said that, the story of my dad is he would always bring back these uh, utensils or, or sorry, pencils and, and pens and uh, things like that to obviously help me to for my studies. And he brought back these like big pens. And in China, there's no such thing at the time. It was all just made in China brands. And when I brought these back, I remember bringing them to school and I was like the coolest kid. Like everybody's like, whoa, what is that? What is that? And I remember like, I'm like, oh, I have like 50 of these. I don't need all 50. I can sell these two people. So I sold them for like two bucks, two bucks a pen. And I will make like 20, 30 bucks. And with that money, I can buy candy and stuff like that after school. So I struck a deal with a teacher. I said, can I put a poster up on the, on the, on the door? Uh, so that way I have, you know, extra advertising and uh, everybody who goes through the door has to see it and they can contact me. Um, so yeah, that was like my very first business venture. Pre ten years old, you already knew how to put flyers up, make negotiations uh, in order to get your marketing up. Did you have to cut the teacher into? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Maybe I forget. <laughs> so th- when you came over to uh, Canada, obviously there's a little more entrepreneurial sp- spirit on this side of the world. I think mm. uh, maybe I'm wrong. Um, did that transition over here? Did you start importing Chinese things and start selling them in, in <sighs> high school in Vancouver? No, I did some other stuff. I mean, there's there's a list of stuff I tried, man. I tried everything I can to like make a little bit of extra money. Um, I remember there's a bank called Tangerine, and they were having this promotion where if you get someone else to sign up through your affiliate link, you get a hundred bucks for the first ten signups, then two hundred bucks for the next ten, then five hundred for the next ten. So I did all the math. I'm like, if I get fifty people, I can make like five thousand dollars or something like that. So what I did was I literally, first I hit up all my friends on Facebook, right? Then I actually made like posts on Craigslist. I'm like, guys, this is not a scam. Like this is tangerine. All you got to do is sign up through this link. You get a hundred bucks. I get a hundred bucks is a win-win. And I made a bunch of money that way. That's just one example. So whenever I see like different ways to make money, I would just try to figure out like, hey, how can I make some money? I mean, I, I scalped uh, when I was really into like EDM. Whenever there's concerts coming in, depending on who the DJ is, if they're a big, big DJ, hey, I'm going to buy like 10 tickets and then I'm going to scalp them. Um, but if it's a smaller DJ, I don't buy it. Um, I've done, uh, I mean, paper routes. That's not really an entrepreneurial journey. That's more of a job. But, um, but even paper, man, even in paper, the paper routes, like I remember uh, there are certain houses that care about papers, right? Like other, some houses, they don't give a shit. Like they never read the paper, so they don't care. So what I would do is I would actually not deliver paper for like two weeks and see which houses complain because they will show up in my next 
statement. It'll be like, this house didn't get their paper. This house didn't get their paper. And then what I'll do, I was literally, I will only deliver to those houses. So instead of like a two hour paper route, it'll just be 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> and then just, just, yeah, different ways to scheme the system, I guess. <laughs> See, and I was more, I had a paper route as well, but I was more focused on like who would give the gifts. I don't know if you got Christmas presents or anything from uh, certain people on the route. Like I had to collect payments from certain people on the route. I'm not sure why. That, I always thought that was weird. Um, but all the people that I collected payments from and then the people that, I knew gave me a gift at any holiday. I was just amazing to right. Like I would handle yeah. the paper to them. I would ring their doorbell. Uh, that's as far as I went. It's pretty. Uh, I mean, what are you like? Fourteen delivering papers. It's pretty gangster to be like, yeah, you don't. You're not even paying attention to whether you get the paper or not. I'm just gonna skip you and and move along. Yeah, I I remember one night it was pissing rain. It was so cold, and I was delivering paper in a little yellow rain jacket. And I remember, I'll never forget. This guy gave me five bucks. He was coming back from work and I like, yeah, I felt so rich, man. Like that was, <laughs> that was, that five bucks felt like a million bucks. Like it was $5 bill. Like it felt, I don't think money has ever felt as good as when I received that $5 from that person, like ever. <laughs> and I'm not joking. Like this, that, that's a serious statement. I know it sounds funny, but um, I will never forget that night. But yeah. So uh, I want to move on to like the next part where like, you go, you go to school, right? Parents insisted you go to school. The next note I have is like, I flunked out. And I'm sorry if I'm going note for note on here, but like, I was captivated, no. man. I was, ca- I was in a room yeah. with like 200 people. It was dark. I was in the back. I had a grin ear to ear the entire time. I'm sorry, <laughs> man. I was getting, I was like, hell yeah, you're doing a great job. So like, it says you flunked out and that 17 to 23, you just wasted your life. Talk me through like the whole, the whole college years. And obviously, you know, being Chinese, uh, as you like to say, you were forced to go to school, right? Yeah, so I went to a school called UBC. Uh, basically, after I got to school, I there was a lot of frat parties and stuff like that. And there's also, you can stay on campus. So what I did was I told my parents, like, I want to stay on campus because I was going to, you know, meet all these people and get a better experience. But more importantly, just like get away from them and just like live life a little bit to my own. They're like, okay, you can live on campus, but you have to come back on weekends. And I was like, mm, okay, seems fair, right? So I came back on weekends and I went to school on Sunday nights and whatnot. And, and yeah, like it was, I remember going to classes and I just took like whatever class that was the easiest, whatever class that basically um, seemed somewhat interesting to me. Um, And it was just, just a waste of time. I mean, you go to a lecture hall, there's 300 kids, you pick a seat, the professor doesn't know your name. You don't know the professor's name. They go over some stuff that has nothing to do with the real world. And I'm just sitting there taking notes, trying my best to focus. And to me, at the end of the day, it was a complete, complete, complete waste of time. And I got really demotivated. So by me staying on campus, I just basically partied and partied and partied and stopped going to classes, wake up at 3 p.m., go to sleep at 3 a.m. and skip everything in between. And then after the very first semester, I actually got kicked out of UBC because my grades were super, super low. Um, I had like a 40% average. I remember I didn't withdraw and I didn't even end up going to the finals because I didn't know anything. I ended up getting like 8% in math, in calculus, which is like pretty hard to do if you think about it, 8%. Um, so yeah, I got kicked out and showed the letter to my parents. They basically were obviously super disappointed. Um, 
But then I told them, hey, don't worry, I can go to this other college. Uh, it's cheaper. I can take the same classes, and all the credits are transferable. So I did that, and again, I uh, went to these classes, and I'm like, wow, what am I learning in school? Uh, de- very demotivated. Basically flunked out of that school. Then went to the third school again. History repeated itself, so I got kicked out of three schools back to back to back. At that time, a lot of my friends were already getting internships.、Uh, they were graduating. And I was like, "Shit, I better get my stuff together. Like, what am I doing with my life?" During that time, I would be playing poker. I would be going out drinking. I'd be smoking weed. I'd be just、uh, honestly looking back. I don't know where those years went. It was. It was like I said. It's if I can draw like a like like a picture book of my life, like between the ages of eighteen after high school to like twenty three, it would just be blank pages、uh, because I don't know where those years went. It just flew by. But then,、um, but I I believe everything happens for a reason, right? Like I truly, truly believe that.、Um, so the, the the fourth year, I went to a school called BCIT, where everything I learned in school were actually a lot more applicable. So accounting, we learned how to read financial statement. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Like, what is a P and L statement, right? What is a balance sheet? So that's cool. English class, we didn't learn how to write essays. Instead, we learned how to conduct like a job interview, which is pretty useful. Um, so just all these different things. I was like,、mm, "This is cool." And then I met some good friends at BCIT because it doesn't operate like a university where you go in and there's 300 people in a lecture hall. You actually get put into cohorts, so you're always with them.、Uh, so there's more accountability. So that was really cool.、Um, and yeah, it's been you know. And, and after two years, I graduated. I got pretty good grades. I actually tried to do well, and I did do well. And after that.、Um, Basically, BCIT is really well known for、um, you can get employed right away after you get a job、um, because there's internships that you can do during. And for internships, like I should have basically applied my internship at a big company,、um, but I decided to actually like ask my friend. I'm like, hey, you know,、um, can I do an internship with you? He's like, sure. And then we ended up just like faking everything. I didn't do the internship. But everybody else who did an internship with every other company actually got a job right away after the company after their internship is over. So everybody got a job after the、uh, class was over、uh, in May, and I'm like, okay, I need to start applying for jobs. And I applied for like ten, fifteen jobs, and nobody wanted me. And I remember going to this one particular job.、Um, the 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 founder started a very、uh, successful software company. I think it's called. Absolute or something like that.、Uh, they're a software company, and then now he started a new venture,、uh, which is essentially. I actually wonder how well they're doing now, but they it's essentially a app where、um, in hospitals doctors are still using pagers, which is insane.、Uh, so he created this app where it replaces pagers. So he's like, okay, base salary is like eighty k, ninety k. You got to talk to like doctor professionals,、uh, professionals, and sell in this app. So I was so I'm like this is the best opportunity ever, and I really want to work for you. And at that time, I already got like eight to twelve different job rejections. So I was so desperate that I was willing to make them a deal. I said, "Let me just work for you for free for three months, and if you don't like me by the end of the third month, hey, let's cut ties. But I can guarantee you that I'll be like the best employee you ever have." And they're like, no, sorry, you know, you're not skilled enough, you're not experienced enough, you're not good culture fit, blah blah, all that type of shit. And that was really the bottom, man. Like, I remember 
just thinking to myself, I'm like, what am I doing wrong here? Like, you know, everybody else graduated university from one university. I went through four. Um, like, what am I like? Do I really not have the potential to succeed in life, even though I knew I did? But I started kind of questioning myself. Um, but during that time, I just kept on reaching out to ex BCIT alumni. A lot of them work in different companies. And one girl, her name is Megan. Um, she's like, you should check out Yellow Pages. I'm like, Yellow Pages? Like, I don't want to sell no Yellow Pages. Like, come on, I'm not that desperate. She's like, no, like, I heard you can make some good money there. I was like, okay, well, I guess I don't really have any other options. Let me go do that. So I applied at Yellow Pages in 2015. And I got a a job. I went for an interview and I got hired right away because the base salary is $22,000 a year, which is minimum wage. So their whole hiring strategy is if they think you're, if you can pick up the phone and dial and speak English, we'll hire you, we'll give you a fair shot. And after three months, if you suck, you're out, right? So they're like, okay, we'll give you a shot. And I got hired in August 2015. And and yeah, that's basically the first time I stepped into an office and sat in a cubicle. And um, it was the best experience I ever would have. I, I, it was the best experience ever because my job was cold calling a hundred people per day for two years. And that teach you, teach you shit, man. That teach you stuff. I don't think you're alone in the fact that 18 to 23, you were screwing around, right? Like, uh, Mm. I can, I mean, I can certainly relate. Like, I don't remember much of 18 to 23. All my friends went to college. And so I moved to the college town and didn't go to college and just like worked and drank a bunch of beer with them. And like, uh, yeah, definitely looking back, man, I can, I can see that that entire period of my life, uh, went to waste for sure. Like, so I, I totally get that, but like fast forwarding to, to yellow pages, man, let talk to me about the, the cold calling and the lessons you learned from there. Cause I don't, I think most people are, are scared of failure and they're scared of rejection. And there is, there's nothing besides going door to door. Like, uh, like I talked to mm. Abdul about a couple episodes ago, besides going door to door, cold calling is the same way, right? Like, um, you're going to get rejected a lot. You're going to lose a lot. And uh, it's going to, it's either going to kill you or it's going to push you forward into, you know, having thick skin and, and, and realizing a win's going to come eventually. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I got the job and base salary is 22,000 and I wanted to make a hundred thousand dollars out of school. Like that was my goal. Um, I did some weird stuff to, I, I remember reaching out to people on LinkedIn and, and just asking people, I'm like, Hey, I see you graduated from BCIT. How much money did you make after the first year? <laughs> They're like, what the, like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> and then I would like, some people actually replied. They're like, yeah, like I made six figures. I was like, yo, let's talk, man. Like, I want to know, first of all, what does it feel like? <laughs> They're like, it feels normal. <laughs> Doesn't feel like anything. I was like, okay, cool. Uh, how did you do it? Right. So I wasn't, a, I wasn't afraid to approach people and ask people questions. I think that's one of the, um, my skills. It's just, I don't give a shit. I, Dude, I wanna... you still have that. You, I know. Yeah, you yeah, still, I, I still I've do. seen you do it, and I'm like, how, like you have no. I don't. I don't even know how to describe it. Like you just. But I'm, You don't put but anybody I'm, on a pedestal. You don't really care. You just, if you want an answer, you go ask the source. But I'm genuinely like interested. Like I'm really, really interested. But in I think the, we in all are. But I know personally, I'm scared shitless to go walk up to certain people and ask them questions. Like there's some people on my podcast list who i've hung out with i played poker with and i really want to ask them to like just be on my podcast and you're like oh, right okay, just call them up like uh i don't know yeah. i admire i admire that about you man i saw it right away in the beginning and i was just like holy shit this guy has some big big cojones man 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, again, don't know really where don't know where that come from, but um, it's definitely benefited me quite a bit throughout this journey. Um, and yeah, anyway, at Yellow Pages, I remember twenty two thousand dollars was the base salary, and I saw this guy named Pavin stepping into our training the very first day. He's like, "Oh, I made two hundred fifty thousand dollars last year," and I was like, "What? How much you make? Two hundred fifty thousand? I'm like, what's your base salary?" It's like same as yours. I'm like, really? Hmm. Interesting. So you're saying that if I can just make fifty percent of what you make, I will hit my goal of hundred thousand. So I was like, all right. Well, let me just do everything you do then. So I started. So basically, I came up to him after. I'm like, hey, uh, my name is Tom. Right. I want to learn how to make some money. <laughs> I want to learn how to like sell. Uh, can you teach me? And he's like, all right, well, here are all my, you know, video recordings and stuff like that, or call recordings and stuff like that. Uh, feel free to uh, listen to them. And uh, I can, I can, I can um, basically, you know, feel free to listen to them. And uh, you'll learn a lot through sales from that way, because everything is on the phone. So everything's recorded. So that's what I did, man. I, I wrote everything down. I, um, I wrote everything down. I practiced in front of a mirror. I put them on my phone. I would listen to them on the way to work. On the way back from work, I would just listen to these call recordings all day, every day, until I sounded exactly like Pavin over the phone. But more importantly, I noticed that Pavin is someone who's always in the top, not only of results, but also how much he worked. Because at Yellow Pages, we track how many calls you make per day and how long you talk for. So I said, all right. I'm going to say what he says, but at the same time, I'll, I'm also going to try to outwork him. So there's been days where I was, I, was I was consistently the top person making the most amount of calls and talking the most on the phone. And that translated to success, right? That translated to success. So, I mean, you play poker. So in poker, it doesn't matter about the outcome. You can have aces. I can have aces. You can have kings. We both go in pre-flop. You win 18% of the time, right? King, does that mean I played bad? Does that mean aces, oh, I made a bad play? Hell no, right? You made a great play. You do that all day, every day, but sometimes you're going to lose. And I really learned to be um, not result-oriented, but pro process-oriented. And what are the different things that you can pull along this uh, pro in the process journey that will hopefully yield you the best result? So at Yellow Pages, it was literally two things. Your call activity, just like how hard you hit the phone and how much you talk, as well as what you say on the phone. And every single rejection that I get, I'm like, thank, I'm like, good. I'm glad I got rejected. You know why? Because the next call is one call closer to that yes. Right. So I actually get a little bit worried that the first five calls I'm making that day, I got a sale because I'm like, shit. Now the rest of my day, like I'm not going to get a sale because it's truly, truly a ratio. It's like you have a closing ratio, so maybe 5%. So if you make 100 calls, you get that five, right? So I, I knew what my ratio was. It was very low at Yellow Pages. I mean, you're selling, like you're cold calling people, man. It was like sing, low single digits. So I would just bang out the phones. I would just keep dialing, keep dialing, keep dialing. And I would just work, work, work. And after the first year, Pavin finished number two in the entire country and I finished number three. So I didn't, I, I made a little bit over, I made $155,000 after the first year 
And that was huge to me. I was like, fuck yeah. That was like my, that was, that was the first $5. Okay. The first that $5 story that I told you was the best that felt like a million bucks. This is the second best because seeing that $155,000 on my T4 from a government was like, fuck everything else in learning school. All that doesn't matter. This is the real world now. And you've done it in the real world. This is like all that theory, all that bullshit doesn't matter. Like I see guys that graduated same year as me, straight A's. They're making like fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. I just did one hundred fifty-five, and the best part is that this was through just pure hard work. Just there was no nothing else, man. It was like pure just activities, phone call after phone call after phone call, and that really helped me to frame my mind for success. Um, I really carry that mentality to everything else I do now. Um, if I fail at something, good, because the next thing I do is going to be one step closer to success. Um, you want to be successful? Good. Like put in the work, like track your hours. How many hours a day are you working? Um, because that all have a direct reflection of, you know, um, of, of your results. And obviously you want... You don't want to leave anything to chances. You want to make sure everything is skewed your way. And the best way to do that is by putting the work. I got to ask you though, was mom and dad happy? Yeah, I think they were very happy. I think they were, um, I, to- I told them how much money I'm making. They, they, they thought I was lying to them. Like they literally didn't believe me. Um, they're like, no way. Like you're not, there's no way you're making. I'm like, check my, like, this is my paycheck. Like, look at this from yellow pages. That doesn't fit like what they had planned for you though, right? No. So like they were very, very surprised. Um, but I think they always knew deep inside as well. I think they always, it's, yes, it's a surprise, but I, th- I think they knew. So how, how old are you at this time? Like 25? 25, yeah. So you made it, right? Yeah. I was <laughs> bored after, because I remember like after the first year, I'm like, man, like, like what's, like, what do I do now? Like you hit, like I kind of, like, should I go for second place? Or should I go for first place? But even if I go for first place, I don't think it's going to bring me that much fulfillment and happiness. So it just became kind of a routine. Now I'm going to my job, talking to the same people, doing the same stuff. I got bored, man. I got really bored. And I started um, basically exploring other options. And when I first started at Yellow Pages, I was trying to sell these hoverboards. And, uh, basically, you know, that was kind of my gateway into Amazon because as I was working at yellow pages, I had a little side hustle and selling these hoverboards on Craigslist and stuff like that. And someone approached me and said, Hey, I sell these on Amazon. Let me partner up with you. And I said, Amazon, sure. Let's see what you got. He ended up selling a lot through Amazon. I found about, found out about Amazon while I was working at yellow pages. So when I was working at yellow pages, I would be working at Yellow Pages throughout the day. When I come back home, me and Christina, my girlfriend, my business partner, uh, would be working on our Amazon business. So year two at Yellow Pages, our Amazon business is generating like like five or $8,000 per month in sales. So it's kind of cool. Like I got two things going now. And I remember I'll be working on my Amazon stuff while I was at Yellow Pages. I just got really bored of my job. And... Um, and yeah, I, I, I had no desire to basically be the number three, number four, number five. Yeah, that, that was my question, man. You're 25. You're making 150K, which is like, what, 42,000 Americans? So that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and so like, 
why would you even have a side hustle, right? At 25, if I was making 150, I'm I'm throwing in the towel, right? At 25, you think your whole life's in front of you, you're invincible, yeah. uh, especially with that kind of money. So what, what made you even like start the side hustle? Because I'm sure there's a, a ton of people listening who are like thinking about starting. I've always had that interest, man. Like I, I told you, like I've done so many things before that. I remember when I was helping my dad with his skincare products, I would go to LA, go to Vegas, help him to set up his trade show. After the trade show, I'd walk around. I met these guys from New York that was selling these big bling bling watches. I bought 50 watches, uh, borrowed money from my dad. It was like 250 bucks, bought them, put them in my suitcase, carry them across the border. I don't know how they didn't stop me. Like truthfully, I'm like bling bling watches, but I went through the customs and, um, yeah, I went through customs and, uh, I sold them on the streets of Vancouver. I literally, I remember there's one day I, I got this new batch of inventory in and they weren't selling very well, but I knew that I had to basically sell them. I remember putting them in a suitcase, dragging them across downtown and approaching people be like, hey, I sell these watches. Do you want to buy some watches? Dude, it was bizarre, man. Now looking back, that's like, that's real hustle right there. Like I kind of missed that. I don't have that anymore these days, I don't think. You know what it reminds me of is is uh, when I went to the Canton Fair in China and then I went to Hong Kong yeah. for a couple of days. Yeah. And you couldn't walk a block in Hong Kong without like somebody stopping out and going, hey man, you look good in this watch or in Thailand, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, everywhere you go, hey big man, uh, you want to yeah, get a yeah. new suit? You look real good in a new suit, right? Like everybody's <laughs> hustling all the time. Yeah, man. That's, yeah. We, I, yeah, I um, did a bunch of stuff like that and Every dude, Ben, I, I don't remember a lot of the things. I wish I kept a journal, but everything that had a dollar so that can produce some sort of a money, I would try to do it. And I try to do it in a different way. I try to find an easy way, a hack, if you will, to do it, to get it done. What is it about yeah. the cash? What is it about money that you were just like, I need to have it? What was, what was the shiny object back then that money was going to get you? I, dude, I don't remember, Ben. I, I, I honestly don't remember. It was just fun. It was like cool it was just a cool thing it's like hey you can make money yourself like it was cool like you make a hundred bucks you don't need someone to pay like you don't need a job to get you a hundred bucks like you can make a hundred bucks like it was just cool i was like i mean don't you want to make a hundred bucks ben like i want to make a hundred bucks of course right all right man talk Benjamins, me through come on <laughs> yeah, there you go talk me through the hoverboards man because this is back like I remember when that explosion happened, uh, and it didn't take long before literally explosions happened. If I remember right, yeah. with these hoverboards. So, like, talk me through. Like, how number one, how did you like even get started? You just found them on on some site or something, or like before Amazon? How did you even know about like importing anything or or, or bringing them over? I was just applying for jobs at home, and one day I saw this thing on Alibaba. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I saw a couple guys riding it in Vancouver. I was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, what is that? That's pretty sweet. It's like, you're standing on this thing and it just hovers and it's got wheels. Like, that's cool. And I'm like, okay, I want to buy one. So I bought one and I would write them around everywhere. And everywhere I went, people stopped me. Where do I buy one? Where'd you get it? How much was it? I had $5,000 to my name. I'm like, okay, I know exactly where to use this money for. So I bought like five or six hoverboards or something like that and uh, imported them. And that's what I learned about importing. Holy shit. Importing that was, the, was, was, the, the, it was a headache. Um, it had, first of all, I had battery inside. So battery is considered dangerous goods. And you need all these different forms to, to get it through the customs. 
That was number one. Number two, the thing was so bulky. It was so heavy. So air shipping was so expensive, right? Um, and it had a lot of moving parts. So this is the electronic. And I remember when they get to Vancouver, like 50% of them were defective. Like I would write on it and it would just have like, it would just like bounce up and down. It was just like, it was like having a seizure or something. So I learned how to fix these hoverboards because I had to. I got them to send me the motherboards and just replace them and fix them and stuff like that. And um, and yeah, I mean, that was the hoverboard. That was that was my little first little e-commerce gig. I created a website and everything, and I didn't know anything about Facebook pixels. I didn't know anything about uh, email marketing. I didn't know anything about um, retargeting. There was no. I, I had no idea. I thought create a Facebook page, create an Instagram page, and you're good to go. Um, but obviously, that's not the case. It's not that easy. So, um, But that's when I got them, approached. Right? No, I didn't sell any of them on my own website. They were only <laughs> sold on Craigslist. Okay. I, had, I, was meeting, I was meeting up people in their, in their houses and sketchy places and parking lots and, and, and selling these hoverboards. Then what? Like, how did you meet the Amazon guy? Tell me about that. Oh yeah, and then sorry, I, I thought you froze. Um, <laughs> the, well, the guy, the guy basically connected me through a mutual friend, and he's like, I sell products on Amazon. At the time, he had a supplement business. I think it was doing like thirty k a month. I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. So he just partnered up with me. He's like, I'll help you to sell these hoverboards. I take fifty percent. You take fifty percent. I'm like, done deal. And he just asked me for some photos with an FBM. Uh, and the second day, like, orders start coming in. I'm like, this is incredible. This is insane. And I just, because I live so close to Point Roberts, Washington, it's about 30 minute drive. And I just went across the border, dropped them off, shipped them out. And um, yeah, that was that. that. So you just can drive over in your car and head to a post office on the other side of the border? Yeah. And then I think I got my Nexus taken away because I kept on forgetting to, because uh, it's a commercial good. You're supposed to fill all these paperwork, and one day they decided to just basically uh, take my Nexus away, which sucked. How did they know? They just stopped me. They're like, what are you doing with the hoverboards? I'm like, oh, I'm, like, I, I sell them. They're like, okay, well, you need to declare <laughs> duties on these. And I just kept on, I just stopped. And well, I just didn't do it. And they're like, okay, screw this kid and take away my <laughs> Nexus. Yeah. Nice. So at, at any point, FBM, by the way, is fulfilled by merchant, right? So you were shipping them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, was FBA around back then? I'm not sure what yeah. year this is for you. So what? Where, where's the transition to from FBM to FBA, which is you know something you teach now? Yeah, so FBA, I discovered Amazon, obviously, and I'm like, this is super cool. And hoverboard was basically dead at that time because things are exploding, and it just wasn't a good product to sell. And I'm like, okay, well, I still want to sell on Amazon, so maybe I can start this journey fresh. And I learned how to sell on Amazon, basically, just on YouTube, on Google. Uh, not a lot of information, but you know, Jungle Scout and stuff like that. And um, yeah, decided to launch like a vitamin C serum because of how crazy the market is. And um, I remember two or five days before we launched, Amazon came down with a review ban saying you can no longer buy reviews. At the time, you can still buy reviews. Amazon's like, nope, you can't buy reviews anymore. And we're like, okay, hey, what the hell do we do? And we ended up just you know getting a bunch of reviews on uh, through family and friends. And um, yeah, that was kind of our first product. Launched that in January 1st, 2017. Learned a lot because um, it was a pretty tough niche. Like it was pretty tough. Uh, But we launched a second product, which is a like silicone makeup sponge. That product sucked because it was a fad. By the time we launched, like the entire market had died. 
a lot of Chinese sellers. Price point dropped from like fifteen dollars to like four dollars. No money to be made. No demand. And at that time, I actually wanted to quit Amazon because I had this great paying job at Yellow Pages. But Christina was like, "No, let's not. You know, quit. We should keep doing this." Uh, and I'm like, "Okay, let's launch one more product. If it doesn't do well, we're not going to do this anymore." And we ended up launching the third product, and you know, ten units a day, twenty units a day, thirty units a day, forty units a day. I was on top of the world, man. I was like, "Holy shit, I got this figured out!" And then, boom, Amazon took down our listing. <laughs> I was like, "What the hell, right?" Oh, this sucks. And uh, spent a month to get. That's the first time that I kind of had to deal with Amazon for like a long time, and that sucked. And uh, got it back. I'm like, sweet. And then Q4 was huge, you know. Um, and then I quit my job in at the end of 2018. Okay, 2018, 2017, 2018, 2000, sorry, 2017, I quit my job. December 14, 2017, I believe. So I was doing Amazon full time. Um, and I had this YouTube channel. So I had a little bit of an audience. And I'm like, hey, let me monetize my audience. Let me teach them about Amazon as well. I was uh, to learn Amazon from me. And uh, that's five grand a month. I was like, this is insane. I was like, this is absolutely crazy. Five grand a month. So that's kind of the start of my coaching career as well. There's so much to unpack in there. So number one, like uh, you talked about your second product uh, flopping with the price driving down. So behind me, I've got my first product, which is gel pens. Um, and I thought I was just hitting this this uh, crazy market that was going off with gel pens and adult coloring books. Um, and by the time I got my first container sold, which was it sold out in a month, uh, or my first like shipment came over, the next one comes over. And <clears throat> all of a sudden, all the competitors are just lowering their price and lowering their price and lowering their price and lowering their price. Lowering their price. Uh, so I totally like you talked about two different issues of Amazon there, right? There's the commodity side where Amazon, I feel is uh, it's driving prices to almost a non-competitive place in certain markets. And then you talked about the other side of like Amazon shutting you down. Do you want to dive into any of that? You've been in the Amazon game for a little bit uh, of time here, right? I read a lot of horror stories online. I've never experienced really any of them. There's been some that aren't great for sure. I've had some competitors drive some negative reviews at me. Uh, and so, you know, got to figure out a way to get some reviews back, but you, you taught for a while and you, you've experienced a lot. Like, Talk to me about some of the the downsides of selling on Amazon because realistically, yeah. it's pretty great. I'm not gonna lie; like the, a lot of people buy there, right? Like 50 percent of all e-commerce transactions happen there. But on the seller side of things, it can suck sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Amazon doesn't. Amazon cares a lot more about buyers than sellers. That's for sure. Um, in fact, I have a few Amazon accounts. Uh, four of them just went down about a month ago simply because I changed my credit card. Jesus, four of them, <laughs> dude. Uh, yeah, it went down. I changed my credit card. I live in Canada. I have a USD credit card that's in the US, and because Canada, US, two different countries, they're like, this is high risk. Suspended my account. All the other accounts got suspended as well with it because if you have one account suspended, all the other accounts get suspended. It was a complete nightmare. It was bullshit. But anyway, I got it back. Um, other ones are obviously competitors. There's a lot of black hat activities in some niches. Some niches doesn't have any, but some competitors, they literally put like an insert card says, Hey, like review my product. I'll give you five bucks, 10 bucks. That's like as black hat as it gets, but they get away with it, which is really frustrating sometimes. Um, 
I've had people basically buying negative reviews on my products as well. Um, that's that. And um, what else? Um, Amazon will basically, you know, you have to prove you're innocent until, you know, you have to prove you're innocent first with Amazon. That's, that's the, that's the biggest thing. It's, that's really, really annoying and really frustrating. They don't give you a warning. They don't give you a heads up. It'll be nice if they, if they, if that you, you can find out what the actual issue is. They don't really tell you that either. So you gotta, kind of, you gotta guess. Um, so that's really frustrating, but at the same time, again, there's a lot of pros, right? There's a lot of upside to that. So, yeah, I mean, there's. There's all kinds of other stuff too. I definitely have heard of a lot of stories. My my account got shut down or my listing got shut down. I'm, you know, thankfully I haven't really dealt with that. I had one listing go down where Amazon received my product wrong. So they were selling the wrong product or shipping the wrong product. Uh, I sell pet supplements, right? So one of them's vegetarian and they were sending the non-vegetarian version out, uh, which could kill people's dogs. So I guess I don't blame them uh, for getting mad. And then right now I have uh, two products in an Amazon LTL trailer that have been sitting in a parking lot for months, like Mm -hmm. uh, frustrating to say the least. Right. And so I don't know. I'm I'm glad you talked a a little bit about it. I'm sure you could deep dive even further. I'm sure you've heard a lot of horror stories. Um, but talk to me about like where you actually learned. Uh, obviously, a lot of people take courses. I know you didn't, right? So talk to me about like the fact that you you know where you learned and then why you saw a flaw in that, which actually got you to start teaching yourself. I just learned on YouTube and Google. That's basically what I learned. Um, and I would be. I remember like following all these YouTubers and 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 these guys' advice, and I would apply them and. I realized that after a lot of them don't even sell on Amazon, which was insane. Like they were teaching things and they don't actually, they're not, they don't practice what they preach. So uh, there was a lot of information on Amazon of how great it is, but at the same time, no one's showing their numbers transparently. So I decided to basically have a, I decided to start a YouTube channel because I've actually always been interested in like photography and videography and stuff like that. Like growing up, I would actually, I remember I had a little camera and I would make like cool little videos on, um, uh, windows, windows movie maker, uh, and, uh, just with a little camera. So like, I actually really enjoyed that side of things, like the creativity side of things. So I decided to launch this YouTube channel and people actually watched it. I was like, this is insane. Like people liked it and, and whatever. And, um, so I wanted to document kind of the more authentic and raw side of creating an Amazon business from the beginning. I have videos on my YouTube channel where I talk about the day that my account got suspended, the day that I quit my job, the day that we made you know uh, $50,000 in one day in sales to an influencer and so on and so forth. So um, yeah, just been documenting the journey. But I will, I will say like lately I've been kind of, haven't been doing a good job at that. Um, I should do more. I will do more. I will create more content. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that's that's one of the reasons why I decided to launch you know a YouTube channel is because I just feel like a lot of guys out there you know they got the Lambo, they got the houses, and <laughs> they got the the cool music in the background. Then they attract you know yeah. those people that are so yeah. I think it comes on every platform though, right? Like I, I got big into TikTok before. Before coronavirus happened and everybody got big into TikTok and they were there, I'm, I'm going to call them Bay. They were on there too, right? They were like, I'm doing this at home and you can make big, big dollars. And um, realistically, you can make a, a Shopify screenshot, say whatever you want to, or an Amazon screenshot, say whatever you want to. So like, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to learn, man. 
I, I do want to talk about like your course and, and, and what you teach and why you teach the way you teach. Cause I, I think paying for your education, number one, you're probably going to learn from somebody who's actually done it. And then number two, like paying for it actually gets you to do it. So, uh, I'm totally with you on the, the YouTube influencers, but how did, how did your transition go from like, you're documenting your journey, which I think is pretty cool. Everybody can go check you out on YouTube. I'll put something in the show notes for that. But how did that transition into, you know, like you just said, coaching, you were charging a hundred dollars a month to, to what did you say? 50 people. How did that, how did that turn into that? And then like, where did that go from there? What, what is uh, ecom hub obviously is something else that you were part of as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was interesting. So basically, like, like I said, like I said, the, the very first, um, um, uh, class that I did, it was 50 people, hundred bucks per person. And that's it. That was it. Um, and after that, I'm like, this is pretty cool. Like, wow, this is insane. Like people actually will pay me for information. So I'm like, okay, like what else can I do? So I decided to basically launch a course, uh, decided to partner up with David and we formed the Ecom Hub. And we launched a six-week boot camp, and it went really, really well. People loved it. We charged a little bit higher ticket. I think it was five hundred bucks this time, and we had like over a hundred people in it. So that was really, really cool. And then after that is where we started getting a little too cute. We're like, hey, like, should we keep doing this or should we launch a course? So on and so forth. And we're like, hey, let's launch a course. So we launched the course, and um, I think there was a lot of executional errors. I think there was a lot of things that we had the right intention to do, but when it comes to execution, such as building the funnels, running the Facebook ads, we just weren't good at it, creating the Facebook ads and stuff like that. So um, yeah, we worked on that project for like over a year. And then after a year, you know, at one point I'm just like, yeah, David, I don't think this is working out. I mean, we haven't <laughs> like done much in the past year. Um, and I just felt like, it's probably better off if we both split ways. So we did. Um, we split ways. Uh, we're still friends. We still talk. Nothing against the guy. Great dude. But uh, we just weren't the right partners for that business. And and um, yeah, and then I kind of, I, I started teaching people locally here in Vancouver because a friend of mine in Singapore does the same thing and he taught me how to do it. So basically, I just started running local traffic and that was really cool because People want to see someone live. People are sick and tired of seeing these YouTube ads and stuff like that. And people want to, you know, experience something live. So I had a lot of people coming up live and, you know, you saw the room yourself. There's over a hundred people in it. Um, and I basically have a two hour presentation. And at the end, I sell them on a weekend workshop and um, where I teach them how to start their own Amazon business. So that's been super rewarding. Um, and I was doing that for over a year. Um, sometimes once, uh, two times a month, sometimes usually once a month, I have 60 people coming here, pay me like three grand a month, sorry, three grand a person. So the money was great. And I was really, really enjoying it. Um, I it was very fulfilling because you're literally teaching these people in person. I love the in-person interaction, not the virtual stuff, but, uh, you know, everything was going well until obviously COVID hit and, uh, that went to literally zero. I had to cancel all my presentations. Uh, the UBC school shut down. And the funniest part is I got kicked out of UBC and I went back to UBC to teach people how to make money on Amazon. So it's like full circle. And that's my favorite part of the journey. But yeah, having we, said that... Can we break down the the actual in-person stuff? Because that's what fascinated me, right? At the beginning of the show, um, 
and I, and I told you in person multiple times in California, I'm like, I got to get up to Vancouver. I have to see you do this because I don't even understand it really. I'm, I'm shocked that I'm legitimately shocked that a, a city of 1 million people that you can run Facebook ads uh, and YouTube ads, I would assume, uh, to get people in a room and say, I'm going to teach you Amazon. Can you walk us through that, that business model? Is that something you're okay talking about? Yeah, yeah. So very simple. Tell, I mean, like, what, is it, what does a Facebook ad say? What, what are you telling people you're going to give them and, and what are you charging them? I'm from Vancouver. I made it. I'm rich on Amazon. I'm just kidding. I'm from I'm from Vancouver. This is my story. This is how you can sell on Amazon. If you want to learn from me, click here. They click on there. Go to a landing page. More information about what I'm going to tell them on this live webinar, uh, where the location is, what they're going to get. Uh, click on the link to purchase your ticket. 20 bucks with date and time. Show up on that date and time. Sit down. Listen to Tom speak for two hours. Uh, obviously, a very well versed pitch. And then at the end of the pitch, uh, it's presenting with you another option. Hey, go do this by yourself if you want. But if you want a shortcut, if you want to learn from me, then here's the price you have to pay. Here's the date. Come to come there. So I go there, and those two dates, I teach them how to sell on Amazon. You zip through that, and I'm going to break it down because I thought it was I thought it was amazing. First off, you're charging people twenty bucks, right? Did you? Did you split test that? I mean, people run ads to webinars all the time, right? Mm-hmm. You're not paying $20 to go to this webinar, let alone it's not even, you know, air quotes live, right? It's it's just some recorded bullshit. And so like, where did you where did you decide to charge $20 and like did you split test that against uh, you know, free and like the show up rate? I didn't actually. Um uh, I didn't uh, I no, I didn't. But that's a yeah, I I I I never um I, I never split test. The reason why I think 20 bucks was fair was because first of all, number one, it's fair. And number two, I wanted to, um, I wanted to essentially boot out those ones that are, that I don't, you know, some people, Hey, some people are willing to invest 20 bucks to learn something. Some other people are like, Oh, 20 bucks. Like I'm not going to pay 20 bucks. If, if you're the latter type, like, you probably shouldn't come to the workshop anyway because I'm pitching you something that's three grand. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a really cool way to actually segment the market. Um, and for those people that came, and I, I didn't really have any intentions, really. I didn't think about this psychologically or anything. I just thought 20 bucks was fair. Like, you want to, you know, like it's cheap. Uh, it's it's uh, $20. Everybody has $20 and come listen to me for two hours. And I just thought it was fair. So that's what I charged. I like that you excluded the dummies if you will right like i wouldn't want them in the room either but like um did that cover the cost of the room 20 bucks from everybody to at least cover your cost for no the night? no it covered the ad cost oh, okay so it, it yeah. covers your acquisition yeah yeah and so i'm sitting in the room the and like the people that are there to your point they were excited i sat in the back mm-hmm. of the room thinking i'd be like out of the way and you had a ton of chairs i don't know how many chairs you had out probably a hundred uh and i actually yeah, had to get up and leave my seat yeah because there were still people coming in and all of them were like, have you seen Tom before? Do you know? And I'm like, I, yeah, I know Tom. And I was just all <laughs> nonchalant. Right. Cause I knew you and they were like, Oh my God, he seems so yeah. smart. I really want to learn this model. And like, there was a bunch of people <laughs> oh like God. chattering on both sides of my ear. Um, and, and you had mentioned even people would stop you in town and you're, Oh, that you're that guy from Facebook. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, yeah, it's interesting because I don't want to be known as that guy. Like, I actually would rather much. I, I would rather live a little bit more key, like low key uh, life than oh, like look at me, you know. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's pros and cons. But uh, I remember talking to Mike Dillard at a mastermind that we we're at. He said, "Don't actually, Steve." 
when I talked to uh, t- I talked to Steve uh, August. He's like, don't think about it as so much like, oh, this is the Tom Wayne show. Um, think of it as like you're really helping yourself. Sorry, you're helping other people. And whenever someone does approach you on the side of the road, you know, take that as like, like it's not about you, Tom. Don't think of everything as like, oh, like I don't want to be viewed that way. I don't want to be like. Don't think about you. You're serving someone else. So whenever they come up to you, you know, I, and I wasn't, I was never like a dick or anything like that. Cause the thing that pissed me off the most is actually watching YouTube videos of like celebrities and someone's like, Hey, can I get an autograph? And they're like, just the biggest dick. Um, that was like, I try to be very, very nice to every single person I meet because I just don't want to come off as like, um, like those, those people. So yeah. Um, but it was weird. Like I would still get recognized like even DoorDash and Uber Eats when they come to my house, they're like, oh, you're that Amazon guy. It's like, yeah, <laughs> hope you didn't spit in my food. <laughs> so to break down your pitch even further, you said it was like a well-manicured pitch. I think what, what I took away from it was your passion, I guess, right? There's a, mm. Like you said earlier, there's a lot of bullshitters out there, a ton of them actually, uh, and a lot of people who will happily throw up a video on YouTube with an affiliate link in the bottom just to try to make, you know, click my link if you're going to buy this stuff anyway, right? A lot of fake reviewers out there too. Uh, yeah. But your your passion shown through, right? And that's really why I wanted to get you to tell your story today. You talked about your childhood and how it was hard. You talked about going to four school and getting kicked out of four schools, right? And finally graduating and then finally like pushing yourself. Uh, and towards the end, you you tied it back around to your mom uh, and really got passionate about what this meant to your family and what it meant to you. Um, and then more so, you talked about like how you actually truly want to help people. Like. Uh, I don't think you can fake the emotion that you showed in that room that day. And I think everybody in the room felt it. So I, whether this is going anywhere on this podcast or not, I just want to point that out to you, man. There was like real, yeah. uh, honestly, like you touched the room that day and there was clearly uh, a lot of people who felt the same way. Cause your, your close rate is insane. So like that night, uh, our friends Kayvon and Tony and Michaela showed up and we were all going to go out to dinner and dude, you closed like a third of that room. Is that a normal close rate when you're doing this in-person stuff? Like webinars have like 10% is a good day from what I've heard on a, on a webinar, right? And so you closed way more than 10% of that room. Yeah, uh, 20% is a good day. Uh, the best I've done was like 25%. Uh, the worst I've done was like 10%. So 20% is usually a good day. And that's impressive, right? Like you're, you're pitching them, come learn more from me, come learn in person. Um, 25% of the room is a lot of people, right? Like, I mean, there was yeah. at least, there was at least a hundred. It was spilling over into the, you know, kind of out the door at that point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, people want to learn, man. Like Amazon is hot right now. Everybody shops on Amazon. Everybody knows Amazon. Um, I mean, yeah, like that's, that's really it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a hot, it's a, it's a, it's a hot offer, I guess. Like, Help me understand the re- the rest of that puzzle, right? So you close that that part of the room, you sell them whatever, like a three thousand dollar offer, whatever it is. At, and, and before I forget, I want to make a point. You close the room, and rather than give like a discount or like to make an offer, you know, take a discount off today, you actually change your messaging to "I want to invest in your business today." So rather than charge you this amount, I'm going to charge you less, and I'm going to invest that in your. I wanted to give you kudos on the messaging there because that was pretty incredible. But like, what what happens after that? Talk me through the next part. So you you took over. Uh, Tony and Michaela's old office for Vesti Footwear, right? In a uh, mm-hmm. giant 10,000 square foot office, which probably sucks right now. We can get into that a right, little 3, bit. 3,000 square foot, yeah. 3,000 square foot, okay. Um, yeah. 
ten thousand dollars a month though <laughs> yeah uh yeah. and then that has to suck right now but like what what's the next yeah. step in that and we, we can get to coronavirus because i'm sure it's affected you in many ways but what what's the next step on that journey right so you have them in is it just a two-day weekend thing do they get a course on the back end yeah they get a two-day weekend workshop uh in person they get a uh course after so it's like a like a full recording after um they get support facebook group um and all these different things so um yeah that's 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 pretty much it that's pretty much it um they get lifetime support like to call it so uh from other students from myself and so on and so forth um but yeah that's pretty much the offer yeah pretty pretty simple well i thought it was pretty interesting like the whole thing man i was i was thrilled to watch you do it in person i was thrilled to i've seen some videos of you with your class in that office and like doing the weekend thing and and clearly your passion showed through i thought that was really cool but while i was there you were striking a deal with uh, our friend abdul as well to like take this out of vancouver turns out it was probably pretty perfect timing um what, what yeah. can you tell me about like what you're doing now as far as now that you transition into something different now it's just an online course. So everything is basically online because of COVID. Uh, I struck the deal with Abdul because uh, due to, due, due to um, COVID, I, my business went to zero. So yeah, I mean, Abdul, if you guys are listening to his, uh, listen to this podcast, you guys probably know his story because his story probably got released before mine. But you know, he's, he's done really, really well in the, in the course space. And um he's already got the operations and everything figured out. So it's just a matter of actually plugging in another subject matter. In this case, it was me. And um, I already have the content. I already have the course. I already had everything. So it was very easy for him to actually just turn on some marketing channels, plug in some sales guys and team and just turn on the faucet. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So for me, you know, it was a good transition because I already have the foundation set. Um, I've already been teaching Amazon for two years. So I have all the content I've done ads. I know what kind of works, what doesn't work. So when he came in, it was just a matter of, okay, how do we take this thing online? How do we scale this thing? So, um, I mean, that's exactly what he did. And now, you know, it's doing really well. So I get asked a, a lot about partnerships. What, what are your thoughts on partnerships like this? Obviously you and your girlfriend are, are a partnership in, in more ways than one, right? Your business and, and, and in real life, uh, talk to me about this partnership though. Like I get asked all the time, you know, what does it look like as far as, and, and you don't have to go too deep, but like, what does it look like as far as contracts? What does it look like as far as like divvying the task? And, um, I think a lot of people are scared to like have a partnership like that. I think the biggest thing about partnership is that you must have, uh, complementary skills. So, if usually in in business, there's the big ideas guy and then there's the execution, right? So you can't have two big ideas guys because then no one will do the execution. You can't have two executors then because then no one will have that vision. So you got to have that vision and integrator. Um, so I think that's really, really important. And also you got to talk about like, hey, if we're going to be partners, what are you going to be doing? And what am I going to be doing? It's got to be crystal clear, right? So for Abdul, it's an I, it's super easy. Abdul brings me the students. I take care of the students to get them results. It's crystal clear. So everything I'm doing now is thinking of different ways and strategies to help my students to get more results on Amazon, right? Whether that's the latest info, latest hacks, tricks, tips, support, whatever it might be. Um, and his job is, again, just bringing me the students. So I think having, I think knowing what each other's 
uh, responsibilities are is one of the most important things. And from there, in terms of partnership, I, I'm a pretty fair guy. I'm pretty easy. So most of the partnerships I do are just 50-50. I just chop it down the line. Uh, but again, that also depends on some of the partnerships as well. So no, I'm a big fan of partnerships. I get asked about them all the time, whether I'm on a podcast or, or talking to somebody else. And I, I don't see how anybody does a business without one. If I'm honest, um, currently, yeah, yeah. currently trying to find <clears throat> or, or working through something with a couple people, uh, on this pets biz, like you said, I, I want to focus on growth and vision, uh, and not focus on day to day doing all the things that need to be executed all the time. So, uh, I want to talk to you about your actual biz, right? We don't need to talk about the brand name. Uh, I cracked a joke before we started recording and, and acted like I was going to say it, but I won't. I, I do want to talk to you about it, though. Like You do very well on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you able to talk about how well you're doing or like some of the things you're doing that are, that, that's working over there? And then when I was up there, you were, you were positioning it to sell. Uh, and I'd love to ask mm-hmm. you like your experience with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, we do well on Amazon. Right now, we're doing about... Uh, like 500k a month, 600k a month in sales. Um, so that's cool. And then we were positioning to sell, but then COVID hit. Everybody backed out. Uh, we had some offers, and what we decided now is actually kind of ma- try to make this business blow up in a sense that I want to learn how to build like a real D2C brand. So I don't want to just keep launching products on Amazon. I mean, yes, I will keep doing that. Not saying I'll never do that again, but I'm just saying that um, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of opportunities to scale the business outside of Amazon. So that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now um, is how do I build a true brand? Uh, how do I run Facebook ads, Instagram ads, retargeting, email, all that type of stuff. Um, so in terms of, yeah, so that's pretty much that. We were you know positioned to sell like, uh, right before COVID and again, got some offers, uh, which was really cool. Like, Hey, this is real. People are actually wanting to buy the business. And, um, yeah. And, uh, and we decided to just basically keep it. Yeah. Well, after COVID hit, everybody pulled out. Um, yeah. so we decided to use this time to actually adjust a couple of things. Our business is not the prettiest. There's obviously some buckets that needs to be holes in the bucket. So we decided to plug those. And, um, but now, you know, I don't think it's the best time to sell right now. I think the market is, uh, not really valuing these business properly. So I think I'm going to spend the time to build a true brand kind of like Vessi and, uh, maybe one day sell on, on a multiple on revenue instead of multiple on EBITDA. Talk to me about your struggles there, man. You obviously you're a wizard at Amazon, uh, sales. I think if you just give Amazon what it wants, sales kind of come right. Like first mm-hmm. off half a million dollars or more a month. Congratulations. That's amazing on that. You kind of just shrugged that off like no big deal. But like being able to maneuver Amazon is one skill set and building DTC is is very different skill set, right? Like, like you said, there's a, there's a lot to do on, on the other side that Amazon's basically doing for you. They're bringing the buyers to you. Right. And so where is your struggle there as far as like moving off of Amazon and trying to, you know, build up another channel. And then like, have you ever stopped to think, is this worth my time as far as, the the lever you could pull if you put that much amount of time into Amazon versus putting it into trying to build off of Amazon? I think right now I'm at the point where I just like challenges. It's not so much about the money anymore. So like our course is doing well. That's all cash flow, right? So like I don't really need any more money right now than it's coming in. Um, so I think right now it's more so what is going to provide me with that challenge 
and what is something that I haven't done before that uh, I want to try and conquer. So DTC always has always in the back of my mind, but I just felt like been super comfortable on Amazon so far. And I'm sure a lot of other Amazon sellers feel the same way. It's not very hard. It's actually pretty easy. If you just exactly what you said, if you give Amazon what they want, what they're looking for, you can rank, right? So for me, it's like, okay, you know, let's try something new here. Let's do something different. Let's be challenged. Let's fail at something. So uh, that's kind of where I, that's kind of the, where the shift's coming from. Sweet, man. The only uh, last thing I want to talk to you about was like how, and I really haven't touched on this with anybody else, but how has coronavirus like affected you, uh, especially on the Amazon side? Um, you know, you had to be deemed essential in order to actually get your products into Amazon and uh, get shipped on time. Obviously, there was a lot of headaches back in March and April and May. Can mm-hmm. you, what, what can you tell me as far as how, you know, COVID-19 is, has affected your business? I mean, COVID-19 has uh, been... Uh, first of all, let me just preface by saying one thing. Uh, I would prefer if COVID wasn't here uh, than our current situation. Uh, but, and my heart goes out to everybody who has, you know, has COVID, COVID-19 has basically negatively impacted their lives, whether they their jobs, is they're out of jobs, they're this and that. So I just want to preface by saying that first before I say the next but COVID-19 in terms to my business has been the biggest blessing um, because I saw on Amazon and all the malls are closed. People don't want to go shopping anymore. So where do people go on Amazon? Yes, there are challenges of selling on Amazon during this time, such as the restrictions that you said about, but you just get around that by doing like 3PL and stuff like that, right? So there's always these different things you can do, but the traffic, the amount of traffic uh, on Amazon is insane. So call a kind of call it like the COVID lift, right? There's a lot of businesses that experience the COVID lift. Um, the coaching business, I mean, it went down to zero, but I didn't just sit at home and cry. Like, oh my God, like I just lost a seven-figure income. Like, what do I do? Like pivot, right? So I'm like, hey, what, what is the next step that I should take? Uh, I should go online, right? I can, I can reach people online, but how do I get there? I can learn everything by myself or I can partner up with someone and shortcut the process by tenfold. So I decided to partner up with Abdul and uh, now we're doing really well. So I think in every single sort of um, disaster or pandemic or whatever it might be, uh, there's always an opportunity. There's always an opportunity. So it's just a matter of accepting that and case, you know, how do I get, yeah, like how can I pivot right now? How can I go find my customers and, um, how can I adapt to the situation? Because like Darwin said, right? It's not the fittest or strongest or whoever. It's the ones that is the most adaptable. So I think in the past three or four months, that's been the case. It's you got to adapt. Um, and there's a reason why these big businesses are going out of business. It's not because, you know, anything else, but the fact they, they didn't adapt quickly. Like, I mean, Zoom should have never existed, in my opinion. Skype has been around for how long? Mm. Right, Google Hangout has been allowed around for how long? They own that space. So how come Zoom came out of nowhere and dominated the market? Well, Skype didn't adapt. It's been the same user interface since what? Since the day I started using it, it's never been great. Um, they didn't keep trying to invent in and evolve, and and just they were too big to fail. But unfortunately, you know, now Zoom is taking market share. Uh, JC Penney and all these different stores, um, you know, they just didn't adapt. Right. Walmart, they should have been 
There should have never been Amazon, right? Walmart should have been the dominant online player. And they're still um, not doing it. They still don't get it. You know what I mean? They're they're doing a little bit better now, but I mean, are they too late? I don't know. Maybe they're not. Maybe they are. But I think we're seeing a, a big evolution right now. Honestly, like <clears throat> whether this, you know, obviously, uh, same as you, like the whole thing sucks in so many ways for so many people, but we're seeing a real shift to online, right? Like there's never been a better time for you to move into online business. Uh, and it's only going to continue this way for a while, unfortunately, but I think we're seeing a shift in, in the way people think the way people move online. I think there was a, a lot of people, a large percentage, some of my family members included that don't know how to use an iPhone. They never ordered on Amazon. They've never ordered anything on the internet. And, and this pandemic, um, you know, while it did a lot of bad things, it forced a lot of good things into the future, if you will. Right? Uh, you call it the COVID lift. I don't. I don't know a single online business that's down. Like everyone I work with on a consulting basis, everyone I'm friends with, my own businesses, we've all seen quite a lift uh, from this pandemic, and and I don't see it changing. Like, what other industries do you think are going to like evolve from this? Oh man, uh, what other industries are going to like, can you just rephrase the question? Yeah, I think that, that a lot of industries have seen a lift, but like what, where do you see things evolving, right? So JCPenney, you just brought up like, there's no chance anybody's going back to a mall on a regular basis anytime soon, right? I think mm. a lot of these brick and mortar stores are going to have to evolve into online. I think cloud kitchens are going to come to the forefront uh, as more and more people want to get delivery. You know what I mean? That, that they aren't going to restaurants. So like, do you, is there anything you see that's going to have to evolve uh, and adapt and move into the future. I read an article somewhere that was super, that was about this topic. Um, I mean, there's sorry, there's a lot of things that running through my head. I'm just trying to remember the article. There was a lot of really interesting things. Let me think. I think I mean telemedicine. I think that's huge. I went on. I've been using my telemedicine app in in Vancouver here. I think that is going to do really, really well over the next few years. Um, grocery delivery. I think that is like during the pandemic, I was only ordering groceries on um, uh, on my phone. So they were delivering to my house because I didn't want to go to a grocery store. So any sort of delivery services, I think that's huge. Uh, the, the, the furniture space actually has exploded. I think uh, people are spending more time at home and people are buying more furniture to make sure their house looks a little bit better. If you go on any furniture stores right now, everything is sold out. Like Christina bought something the other day. It was in July. It was going to come in. It was going to come in October. I'm like, what? What was the point of buying it? That's like four months out. She's like, oh, it's going to, you know, time's going to fly, which is true. Same way in the fitness space too, man. I've been trying to get gym equipment here for like four months, uh, and it's so like you can't find anything. I, I've been able to get some resistance bands and a couple kettlebells. Um, we got a Peloton here, which was pretty cool. Uh, but other mm. than that. It's been very difficult to get any fitness equipment and, and like you said, furniture as well. I mean, anything online, man, I, I feel very blessed. I feel very grateful for the position I'm in. I know there's a lot of people out there that maybe are not in this position right now, but at the same time, you have to you have to realize that no one's gonna come and save you. No one's gonna come to your house tomorrow and knock on your door and be like, Hey, like, you know, like uh blah blah blah. Like, no, it's not a Disney movie, right? Like no one is going to come. There's no Prince Charming coming to save you. The only person that's going to save you is yourself. So stop feeling sorry for yourself. Instead, turn that energy into something where, like, if Tom can do it, you can do it as well. Maybe you don't need the $500,000, $600,000 per month Amazon business, 
But what if it's only 10% of that? What if it's only $50,000, $60,000? So you heard my story. I mean, I'm no one special. I'm just a regular guy, really. I, I, I don't think of myself as anything. I just kept on trying, kept on trying, kept on trying. I asked the right questions. I have good people around me. And I never doubted myself that I was going to be successful one day. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, it's, it's all in your mind. It's a lot of it is in mindset. And, um, if you can just have that mentality of failing is okay, I think you're going to do really well. I think it, there's no better time than the present. It might not seem like it that, to start an online business. Uh, I really like the area you're in. Obviously, I still sell on Amazon. How can more people find out what you're doing or where can they go find your course or where can they find, find you on YouTube? Is there one general place you can send them to? Uh, yeah, you can go to my YouTube channel, I guess. Just go to type in Tom Wang. That's probably the best place. Uh, you can go to FB, uh, masterfba.com forward slash video. Uh, to watch like the 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 preview pitch, I guess, and then you can book a call with my team to talk more about your situation. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. And I'll put all of that in the show notes. Uh, appreciate you being on, buddy. Awesome, man. Appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on. Thanks so much for Tom coming on the show. I appreciate it very, very much. If you want to check out what he's doing, go to masterfba.com slash video. I'll put that link in the show notes or head over to YouTube, search Tom Wang. You'll find all of his content over there. Also, check out his podcast, The Tom Wang Show. Again, I'll put a link in the show notes. If you have the opportunity, please, please, please just go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for this podcast. It helps me reach more people and get better guests on the show. So thank you so much for leaving a review. Thanks for joining us today, and I'll see all of you next Wednesday.